0: Have a good memory or a bad memory? Bad. Uh, anybody ha- would say they have a good memory. My wife has the best memory. I have the worst memory, and all the husbands said same. Right? Uh, I have a friend. Uh, his name is Perry, and whenever we get together, we always reminisce. He's my best friend in the world. Uh, he's. It's. It's kind of weird how good of friends we are. You know what I mean? No, you don't exactly. It's weird. But anyway, every time that we get together, uh, like every time, we always reminisce stories. We're always telling stories about this time or that time. Remember this. Remember that. And when we get together, my wife and his wife participate in an Olympic event event of eye-rolling because it's the same stories over and over and over. But... I have a terrible memory. I'm going to blame it on high school and the high school. Um, I have a terrible memory. But every now and then while we're together, my friend Perry will bring up this time that we did this thing at that place. And then that happened. And I look at him and I'm just like, yeah, man, it was so fun. But I'm clueless. I don't remember anything, but he will remember it in such vivid detail. He'll tell every event. He'll tell everything I said, and I'll just have to say, man, I, I don't remember that. And he'll be like, yes, you do remember that. You did that thing, and we did that thing, and then it turned into that, and then you got in trouble. And I'm like, no, I really don't remember that. Memory is a tricky thing, especially for someone like me who has a bad one. Uh. And you've probably had times like that, maybe a little bit of amnesia. You're sitting around your family. They're telling a story about you that involved you, and you're just like clueless. I don't remember being there. Or maybe you have some amnesia about things that you've done, like some purposeful amnesia. I just choose not to remember. I don't want to remember that thing. I don't want to remember being involved with them. I don't want to remember those things that happened to me that I had no control over whatsoever. Um, There there are those those things. We forget the things that other people remember, but we remember weird things like your 7th grade locker combination. Uh, And then we forget... Things that we should remember, like our anniversary, or your kid's birthday, or that assignment that you were supposed to have done yesterday. Anybody, Holy Spirit, moving on that? No? No one had an assignment due yesterday? Alright, I just felt like I needed to remind you if you did, but uh, if it was due at midnight, you are just a couple hours late, you'll be alright. Teacher will understand. Today, we want to talk about just that. We want to talk about remembering. Uh, A couple weeks ago, uh, well it was about a month ago, we put this ad out on Facebook that we wanted as a church to tackle the elephant in the room. Uh, We wanted to ask questions that people wanted the church to talk about that we just as a group of Christians haven't addressed before. Uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to see what people were curious about, that Christians think about, and so we asked you to remind us what the elephant in the room was. We started off last week talking, asking the question, can you believe in a resurrection? Can we believe that 2,000 years ago that Jesus died and walked out of the grave? And I feel like last week we came to the overwhelming conclusion that there's no doubt about it. This week... Um, Oddly enough, I did not expect this to come through uh, in some of the questions, but it was about communion. Why do we do communion every week? Um, can I take communion? Uh, one question was about someone who has, uh, it was um, specifically about a couple that has um, faith backgrounds that were different, Catholic and Protestant. And, and um, if, you, if you're a recovering Catholic, Uh, you know that it is different, right? Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean any offense by that. I saw some really passive and really aggressive eye rolls. (laughs) Not intended, okay. Um, But we do communion really different. And so today we're going to try to address all of that in a span of just a couple minutes. But more specifically, what we're going to talk about is the who and the why do we take communion. So today as we tackle the elephant in the room, uh, we're going to talk about that central element of our service that we participate in at the end of every service. At Restore Church, we take communion every single week without exception. It's something that we see when we read in the pages of Acts. We see them do More often than we do. Uh, We take communion every Sunday as a chance to remind ourselves. But the early church in the beginning of Acts, they did it every time they were together. And the Bible says that they met every day in each other's homes and in the temple courts. And so communion is all about remembering. Remembering. So, uh, as always, we go to the Bible to look for our answers. And so, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. The main scripture won't be on the screens or on the televisions, um, but some of them will, but not the main scripture we're going to look at. So, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up. Someone will bring one to you. If you have your Bible, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'll give you just a moment to get there. As I take a drink of, awkwardly, of water. No sounds. I took a drink and you didn't hear it. You're welcome. All right, so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what's interesting is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the first four books of the New Testament, they tell the stories of Jesus. But 1 Corinthians is written by Paul and he describes the story first, even though Paul wasn't there. This was the first original rec- uh, written recording of the Last Supper or of communion, and we're going to look at it right there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul re- writes this. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26 is so important. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. From this scene, we see the very first communion meal, and we're going to unpack this scripture a little bit today. The first question we're going to ask is, why communion? As a kid, I always just thought uh, that it was a snack time. And I thought it was a really appropriate time for snack because it was always when my stomach would start to, like, turn You know what I'm saying, and it was always when my parents were like, "Get off me! I should have taken you to the village." Um, It it was it was always like perfect timing. Now at the church I grew up in, we always passed it, but you took it and then you put it back in the tray as it went. We didn't want to create any extra work for someone to have to clean up cups, you know. So you took the shot and you put it back, and then it, it passed. There was a time that we were at a Steelers versus Bengals game in Cincinnati. I grew up just south of Cincinnati, where a Steelers-Bengals game, and the score was probably 633 to nothing. The Steelers were winning because the Bengals are the worst team in the NFL ever. And uh, my my dad had some friends in town, and Dad said to them, "Hey, you should go to church with us tomorrow." And I thought I would be funny, you know? It's me, little guy, trying to hang out with the big guys, so I drop a little humor, and I say. Oh, it's perfect, guys. They pass a little snack in the middle of the service. I've never seen my dad flip around so fast. He said, You will not be taking of the Lord's Supper any longer. And I was like, Shoot, can I take a granola bar then? (laughs) What am I going to do? Maybe you grew up in a church where communion looks a little bit different than we do. Maybe you did, uh, you came forward and the, the pastor, or the priest, would give you uh, communion and then you would go back to your seat. Maybe you came from a tradition where they would dip the cup in the bread, or dip the the bread, dip the cup in the bread. That would get messy. Dip the bread in the cup and then give it to you. Uh, some churches might require a formal class or for you to go into a membership um, and. Uh, you know, you'll find that in different denominations. Different denominations do communion different. And you'll see that the seriousness and the weight of it is kind of worth it. I mean, what you believe about communion is so important. In time we we have left, we're going to see what the role that communion plays in our gatherings together and what we believe as a church. And communion in the New Testament actually comes from an Old Testament principle. We've already read 1 Corinthians 11, and on your own, or on your own this week, in Matthew chapter 26, you'll see the other story of Matthew telling, uh, telling the story of communion. but 1 Corinthians has plenty for us to get through this morning. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about first, um, what brought the disciples together with Jesus that first night. So we read it in 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus is sitting around with his disciples, and then he picks up the bread and the juice. See, that night wasn't just any meal. On this night, the the disciples were actually celebrating the Jewish uh, feast and the Jewish meal of Passover. Which commemorated the historical event in Jewish history. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 12. Where, um, where God is going to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery. It was like uh, Jewish's Independence Day celebration. And they would celebrate. They probably didn't have the cool fireworks that we do. But, but basically God's big move to free the Jews from slavery involved an angel of judgment. That would come to Egypt and punish the Egyptians for their stubbornness. God told Moses, the leader of the Jews, that unless they wanted to suffer uh, the same fate as the Egyptians, they should do a couple of things. One of those things was to take the blood of a lamb and paint it on the door frames of their houses. The houses that had the blood on the doors would be passed over by an angel, and the people inside would be spared. That night, the Egyptians saw the power of God at work, and they released the Jews from slavery. And it's really an amazing story that we could talk about for hours. But the Notes version is that for generations and generations and generations, Jews would celebrate the Passover because that was the night the angels passed over the Jewish nation. And a part of the Passover celebration became the observance of a meal that faithful Jews would share together. And that's exactly what's happening while Jesus is sitting around the Last Supper. And each element of the meal has symbolic meaning. They would relive parts of their history throughout the meal as they would eat it. They would remember God's, uh, God's grace, God's guidance, God's salvation. And so in this story, as they're going through their Jewish history, and as they're going through the Passover and remembering, um, Jesus starts to kind of change things up. He chose this meal to institute a new meal Of remembrance that we call communion and it's simple. Uh, There's the bread. Even though the meal is significant, um, or even though the meal is simple, it's still significant. I've got too much room up here. That was a joke. I don't have enough room is what I was trying to say, but you didn't laugh. So then I had to explain my joke to get three of you to laugh, but I see how it is. first jesus takes the bread and it probably didn't look like this but this is what walmart had on the discount rack so uh, for this morning this is what it looked like jesus says this this he picks up the bread and he says this is my body broken for you he says share bread together in remembrance of me on my way here this isn't i didn't write this down but on my way here Uh, this morning, I was just trying to think of what it would have been like to be sitting there with Jesus. You're going through each element of your history and then all of a sudden he picks up this bread and he says, this bread is my body. And when you get together, I want you to remember me. Now, he's not saying this to a church of 150, 200 people. He's saying this to his 12 closest friends. This is an intimate moment. Have you ever been at a meal where someone's sharing some news with you? Or perhaps when you, uh, when you found out you were pregnant for the first time and you sat down to dinner with your parents or a FaceTime and you're like, hey, how's it going? It's good. Hey, make sure that mom and dad and my brother and my cousin and uh, Uncle Jim, that's not really my uncle, is around the FaceTime when we FaceTime. And they're like, something's up. And then the FaceTime comes up and you're like, hey, guys, what's up? How's it going? Oh, nothing. We're just hanging out. Here's why I really called you guys together. I mean, the conversation changes just like that. Jesus and the disciples, this is normal. They're Jews. They're celebrating the Passover feast. That's what they did. And then all of a sudden, Jesus picks up the bread, and it's like, hey, this is why we're together. Traditionally in this meal Jesus is having, the, the bread was unleavened bread. On just means that there's no yeast in it. It is not supposed to rise. That's why it doesn't look like this, um, and this is why the Jews were, uh, this is why the Jews who were part of the original Passover meal were essentially preparing to be slaves on the run from their captors. See, when the Egyptians were ready, or when when the Egyptian when the Passover feast was coming, uh, they were ordered to to make some bread, right? But with no yeast, because they didn't have time for it to rise. So, God's command was that they prepare an unleavened bread the night, that night for a special meal. Hence, this is why it was the Passover meal. It never had yeast. In fact, the technical name for it, as you read through the New Testament and, and the Old Testament, you'll read the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They took this so seriously that they would sweep out their entire house just to make sure there was no leaven in the home. If just a little piece of leaven were to get in your bread, it would, start, it would, it would crawl through all out. I don't know if crawl is the right word. Uh, spread. That's good. Thanks. Uh, it would spread throughout and would cause the whole loaf to rise. You should put that on the Food Network. In the Old Testament, yeast was also used as symbolism for sin. Jesus, in a confrontation with the Pharisees, he tells them that their attitude is like leaven. Yeast has this tendency to spread and incorporate all throughout the dough. There's good, spread and incorporate all throughout the dough to make it grow and grow and grow. Which, you know what, it sounds a whole lot like sin to me, doesn't it? You get just a little bit of sin in your life and you say, I got it controlled. I'm not worried about it. And then it just grows a little bit more. Now it's a problem that you and your family can see, but it's okay because the neighbors or the people at church don't know. And then it just continues to grow and grow and grow until it takes over. So Jesus picks up this bread. He prays over it and he says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Man, I was thinking about this 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 week and it hit me kind of hard that leaven came to represent sin to the jews and here is jesus saying this bread with no yeast is me it's my body jesus is going to offer his body that has no sin He's going to offer his body that has no yeast in it. And the reason Jesus' sacrifice was in, has any value to us is because he lived a life without sin, something we can't do. He was innocent of sin, yet he gave himself up to be broken for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, it says this, God made him who had no sin... To be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, so we can be right standing in front of God. When we break bread together, when we have communion together, and for us it's crackers, it's these oyster crackers, because, well, we can't make all the bread, but they're unleavened. Did you know that? You're welcome. I know you were just dying to know, well, are our crackers unleavened? Yes, they are. (laughs) Um, But really it's because they're cheap and they're easy, okay. Um, But we're taking time to remember that a broken body of a perfect Savior every time we meet together. God, in a body, Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the bread. Now, the juice. Now, I got to say this, all right? I, I can pretty much guarantee you that Jesus used wine at this meal. We are not. Um, wine was the most common beverage of the time, and it doesn't have the stigma that he, it does now. Um, Jesus called it drinking from the fruit of the, of the vine, all right? You probably noticed that we've got grape juice, and this is grape juice. I took the label off so that we don't endorse any particular type of grape juice. It's great value brand. Um, we, don't, we don't use grape juice, mainly because we have the available. Why did I choose the most full thing to pour in front of everyone? Can you guys clap that I didn't do that like a toddler? Thanks. Appreciate it. Trying to boost my confidence every little bit I can, you know. Um, Well, we have the ability to preserve grape juice without fermentation. They didn't. Another part of of the reason that our church, as opposed to other denominations who do use wine, we use church because it's non-alcoholic. And we realize that some of you have had that struggle in your past, and we don't want to be a reason to go home later and... Uh, we we want to remove every kind of stumbling block for you. Uh, actually, later on, um, Paul gets angry with the church. With the, in, in this same letter in 1 Corinthians, he gets angry because they're getting together and getting drunk before communion because of the wine. And, of course, because we expect people who are under 21 who have, had, uh, who have given their life to Jesus to participate in communion. But what's more important... More importantly, it's not about what we drink, but it's about why we drink the juice that we have. There have been times in history and in different parts of the world where grape juice isn't available. I've heard of one of my friends who went on a missions trip to Africa, and he said they took communion. And what was so cool was they didn't have grape juice, but they had orange Fanta. (laughs) True story. Uh, Jesus um, calls himself the cup. Later that night, the same night that he has this meal with his disciples, he finds himself praying in the garden and he asks God, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's kind of poetic, but I wonder if he was picturing the cup that he passed around the disciples as he said that prayer. Remember in the meal, Jesus says, This is the cup. Um, This is the new covenant that represents my blood. Do this. And whenever you drink it, remember me. Communion is remembering a promise. It's remembering a covenant, a promise that was sealed by the blood of God in the flesh. And man, that's a huge commitment for God to send Jesus knowing that some of us would not accept him anyway. But he did it anyway. He sent Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross in spite of that. Think about this. What was done through Jesus that night in the crucifixion was really similar to what happened to the Jews in the original night of the Passover. God allowed the angel to pass over those homes that were covered by the blood of the Lamb. And it's the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, who was also called the Lamb of God, that allowed the punishment for sins to pass over anyone this morning and any time who might believe in him. I mean, Scripture says it, and we believe that, any, that the greatest currency is for someone to offer their own life, their own blood. We often call it the ultimate price. And Jesus says, this cup represents my blood for when that happens. The Apostle Paul, he he writes in Romans chapter five, he says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse eight says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, I love you, and and giving you a path to me is worth it. I I will become human, I I will become a man, and I will give my life so that you might live and that you don't have to die. It's one thing to give your life for something. It's a whole other level of power when you're able to do it for a cause and then raise from the dead to show that you are the master of life and a victor over death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it, sa- it says this. We were, listen, th- this is the celebration. In just a matter of a chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 5, it says Jesus died for the ungodly while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Uh, demonstrates his own love for us that way. And then in a matter of a chapter, we find out how we can participate in a sacrifice like that. In chapter 6, verse 4 of Romans, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order, uh, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's so good. So Jesus not only has the power to be risen from the dead by God, but God also has the power to raise your life spiritually and one day physically. You know, most funerals, they end about talking about the end of a life and how good of a life it was. But Jesus didn't stay dead. It wasn't the end. He rose from the grave. Jesus' death is not about the end of a life, but it's about the beginning of life, the beginning of yours. New life, real life, spiritual life. And some of us need that, man. Some of us this week or this past month or this past year have just been beaten. Like we feel like we can't win. We can't get ahead. Man, I'm with you. I feel you on that. And you need something new. You need something different to pursue than the stuff that you're Just in that rat trap, that rat race of trying to get to. Look, I'm just, you need Jesus. (laughs) Like you need something to pursue. And maybe this morning it's time for you to take seriously the blood of Jesus. This cup, the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So why grape juice? Because we're remembering the promise that God brings life that he laid down his own life so that we can live. And in, a, in a minute, we're going to take communion together. There's bread. There's the cracker. There's a cup of juice that represents his blood. And in that moment, it's about remembrance. Jesus says, in that time, remember. And so you might be like, man, this will be my first time. I'm kind of weary about this. Or maybe one of the downfalls of us doing this every week is sometimes it can be routine. Like, we just, all right, on to the next thing, you know? And so here are a few things that really could help you try to remember. Here's three things to remember, um, to help you remember. Here's three things that you might consider remembering while we take communion. The first one is to remember this, that you are valuable. You are valuable. You are valuable. the value of an item is always determined by the price that a person is willing to pay for it. God saw our sin and He saw our debt and He said, What am I willing to pay for that? I'm willing to give my own life for that. God says, I will give my son for them. What's your value? You're worth the very life of God, of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you that much. And so remember, as you take communion to be humbled by it, remember that you're valuable. The second thing is to remember forgiveness. This is a tough one for me. Jesus' mission was about providing mankind with a path to forgiveness to God. Y'all, I know that you probably can't tell, but I've sinned before. A lot. And when it comes time to remembering Jesus and his forgiveness, sometimes it's hard for me to meditate that he would die for me because, man, I'm screwed up. And I don't get it right a lot of the times. I know that you probably do, but I don't. And so when I sit here and I think about the value that God says I have, it's also good to remember the forgiveness that God gave. And he gave me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a 493 millionth chance. And he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. The last thing is this. Remember that Jesus is returning. That's the story of hope. This is actually how Paul ends that message or that little scripture about communion. Verse 26, remember he says, for whenever you eat this uh, bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is hope. And so many memorials have this somber reminder that the person is never coming back. But, this remembrance, man, this remembrance is different. It's different because Jesus isn't dead. It's different because Jesus is alive and he has power and love displayed in the empty tomb in grace and in mercy. Man, there's more beyond just this life. There's more to just death. There's more than just forgiveness. There's more. There's more. It's hope. It's remembering that Jesus is coming back, that he is returning. And that's a promise built on his body and built on his blood so that you and I can live together. Hey, what i like to do right now is I just want to say a prayer of thanksgiving. Similar in the same way that Jesus did. I just want to thank God for what he's brought us through and where he's going to bring us. And then instead of how we normally do or we lump everything kind of at the end of the service together, we're going to to do communion by itself this morning just for us to give us a chance to remember. God, we thank you for your body and your blood. God, we thank you for your for your guidance of the Jewish people, for the freedom that you gave them from captivity. God, we thank you that you do the same for us, that you free us from our sin. And so, Lord, while we sit here in just a couple moments and we, uh, we, we take communion together, God, let us remember. Let us remember you. And the sacrifice and the the debt that was paid so that we could live again. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.